The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Monday, November the 1st, and on the social medias, people are already saying Merry Christmas. Good God, people. What is, like, there's got to be some kind of compromise here. We can't just jump right into Christmas. We have to have a compromise. Can we have, like, maybe there's, like, a hybrid, like, decor that we can start using? Like a Thanksgiving, Christmas kind of hybrid something. I, I'm just not ready to jump into Christmas yet. Let's pump the brakes. November first, for God's sakes. People are like, "Merry Christmas, everybody!" Like God. Uh, and I'm not a Grinch. I really not. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas holiday season. Like I, I'm, I'm all about Christmas. I really am. Uh, like, let's just. Can we not put the cart before the horse here? And let's just pump the brakes and enjoy the month of November. It's a great month. We get to crown a Major League Baseball champion. We will get to watch lots of great college football, including rivalry week during Thanksgiving week, of course. Lots of NFL action as teams gear up and jockey for position in the playoff seedings and in their divisions. NBA, I know a lot of people don't consider the NBA to be starting until after Christmas. I get it, but I still like to watch. And, of course, we're going to see if the Coyotes can actually win a game in the NHL this season. <laughs> Got pretty close yesterday against Carolina, against all odds there. So, uh, yeah, still lots of stuff to do in November. Let's not let's just pump the brakes on Christmas. We're still 54 days away from it, for God's sakes. All right. It's time now to jump in, as we always do, in the 8 o'clock hour on Mondays for my Dean's List and my Dunce List. The heroes and zeros from the weekend that was in the world of sports. And we begin with the Dean's List. Now, the Dean's List, looking at this week, there was there were several candidates that uh, that were left off of the list. I, I you know don't need to really talk about them. Um, there was just some interesting performances from some unheralded people, and a couple of them make the top of the list here today. We begin with the game from Sunday night and Cooper Rush. Dallas backup quarterback who led his team on a game-winning touchdown drive to beat Minnesota on the road in a big Sunday night matchup game, moving the Cowboys now to 7-1 and one on the season. And they are, look, they, they're, they're, looking, they're looking good. They are one of those teams that are now fully in the driver's seat in the NFC, specifically in the NFC West. I mean, they are, uh, they are just, you know, they are just that good. So, uh, you know, the Cowboys right now losing Dak Prescott. It was a kind of a game-time decision, but Cooper Rush stepped in and for all intents and purposes looked pretty damn good last night. I know the stats don't exactly kind of jump off the page, but 24-40, 325 yards passing, two touchdowns and a pick, uh, but he had a lot of help. Look, Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, and Cedric Wilson had huge games for them. They were getting open. The, the Minnesota secondary was awful last night. I thought Minnesota just as a whole was just bad. Like, they seemed somewhat listless, almost like what I saw from Tampa Bay yesterday in their game against New Orleans. They just seemed to not have the gumption, the drive, the fire to go out and win that football game. But nonetheless, you got to hand it to Cooper Rush. And, 
my uh, my buddy reminded me of a text message that I sent him on uh, I think it was Saturday or Friday or Saturday, and it was just basically like, hey, you know, what do we think about the Minnesota Dallas game? We're, we're talking about you know betting on FanDuel, and I said, there's no way that Cooper Rush goes into Minnesota and gets a win. That was my text. There's no way. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Cooper Rush uh, topping the Dean's list today for his performance. Man, that was uh, that was a good one. And look, that was a team effort. But again, plenty of opportunities for a quarterback like Cooper Rush, who uh, to screw things up and lose the game for his team. And uh, they were good. They uh, they they played well. They get a well deserved win on the road. And now things in Minnesota. Mike Zimmer is going to be under fire. Like he's he's in trouble. Um, I continue to say that he was going to be the first coach fired this season. Uh, midseason, I, I think it still may happen. So Cooper Rush gets the uh, the top of the Dean's list there. Number two on the Dean's list, Mike White. Who? Yeah, talked about him on Friday uh, because my NFL lock of the week was the Cincinnati Bengals. I just didn't think there was any chance in hell. The Bengals coming off of their big win, one of the biggest wins in, in franchise history for the Cincinnati Bengals. They were the number one seed in the AFC standings as you know as of this week. My NFL lock of the week was Bengals minus ten and a half. So naturally, Mike White, backup quarterback for the New York Jets, the lowly stinking Jets, becomes only the second player in league history to throw for four hundred yards in his debut game. <clears throat> and oh, by the way, lead his team not just to a cover, not to a ten and a half point cover in the game, and like, oh, good job, guys. You almost had that one. No, 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 no. They won the football game, 34-31, over the previous number one seed in the AFC. And he had to lead the team on comeback drives all day long. Like they were down 7 nothing. Then he evened it up 7-7. Then they're down 17-7. They get back to 17-10. Then they're down 24-10. Then it's 24-17. Then it's 24-24. Then it's 31-24. Like he had to lead them to come back. They were down the entire game until they ended up coming back and getting those two scoring drives late in the fourth quarter to win the football game. I just, what a performance by Mike White. Four, was it 405 yards passing yesterday? Second player only to uh, Cam Newton to throw for 400 yards in his NFL debut. Mike White, hats off to you, brother. You joined the Dean's List today. Thirdly, and look, I was watching on Saturday, and I mentioned just how good this football game was. If you missed it, you really missed a great football game. Kenneth Walker the third the running back from Michigan State, my God. Uh, that guy, the college football is flush with excellent running backs right now between Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, Bijan Robinson. We saw a really good one at in, in, uh, in, in SC and Keontae Ingram on, on Saturday night. Look, the, the country is full of really, really, really good running backs. The kid up in uh, Syracuse who's really good, Travion Henderson, at Ohio State. Look, I can just go on and on. But Kenneth Walker, dude, absolutely dominated one of the country's best defenses on Saturday. He had 23 carries, 197 yards, five touchdowns in the game. Five. And extended his nation's longest streak of carries without a fumble to now 361. 361 consecutive carries without a fumble, dating all the way back to 2019. Oh, by the way, he also leads college football with 835 yards after contact. 
absolutely remarkable by Kenneth Walker III. He was unstoppable in that game, and he was even better in the fourth quarter. And those are the kinds of things that you look for in great running backs. We see it in Derrick Henry, who, by the way, uh, breaking news, Derrick Henry might be gone for the season. Uh, he's got a serious, serious foot injury. He's going to have an MRI today, but the fear is, is that he's going to be gone for the season for the Tennessee Titans. But the great running backs all do they do their the yeoman's work in the fourth quarter. That's where they get their money. And Kenneth Walker absolutely destroyed Michigan in the fourth quarter of that game. He was unstoppable. Every time he touched the ball, it seemed like there was they were going to get a first down. He broke tackles on every single play. Michigan, who's normally a very, very solid tackling team, just could not wrap him up and get him down. Kenneth Walker was absolutely dominant in that football game. And, uh, again, for all the things I just mentioned, he doesn't fumble. He gets tons of yards after contact. He gets in the end zone. And now he is, in my opinion, he's the Heisman favorite right now, just based on, on the season that he's had. He had, he's had. He's had one bad game. He had a game against Youngstown State where he didn't play. They were up 42 uh, nothing in the second quarter of that game. Um, he didn't play much in that game. Didn't play well against Indiana. They really loaded the box against him and forced Michigan State to throw the football. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, still got the dub. Obviously, they're undefeated. But uh, Kenneth Walker III, a transfer from Wake Forest, by the way. Wake Forest, now I think, I, th- I think it may have been Greg Hansen in the, uh, in the Daily Star, I believe today has an article online about how looking at Wake Forest's, Wake Forest's rise to prominence this season. They're a top 10 team. They're undefeated. They're killing teams out there. Um, because they, you know, Wake Forest had, I believe, the worst winning percentage in all of Power 5 football over the last 20 years or something like that. Like, I think it's even worse than Duke's. Um, the, fact that, uh, the fact that he's a transfer from that program just tells you, again, you know, what kind of things are being done at Wake Forest over the last several years and just what can be done with a, with a fledgling program like they've had there in the Demon Deacons. But uh, Kenneth Walker III definitely landing on the Dean's list today. Now we switch to the Dunce list. Oh, yes. The zeros from the weekend that was in uh, in sports, and we begin with officiating. I know it sounds like a broken record, folks. It seems like officials are on the dunce list a lot, um, and look, rightfully so. Both NFL and college games this weekend were officiated horribly, specifically in the Arizona USC game. I mentioned earlier that there are three people that I respect very highly for their analysis of games that they watch that they're involved in. And all three of those guys rarely, if never, uh, blame officiating for certain outcomes of games or talk about officiating as, oh, God, that was terrible. All three of them said it was terrible. There were people nationally tweeting during the Arizona-USC game that had no stake in the game whatsoever, not even ties to the Pac-12 that were talking about how horrible the officiating was. Look, I, I, have, I have some numbers here, and the numbers may not jump off the page to you, in the NFL, let's just let's let's switch to the NFL because yesterday was an absolute flag parade. I tweeted it out. It was it was ridiculous. Watching the games, it was just nothing but flags, flags, flags. Nothing but yellow hankies all over the damn place. It it's completely watering down the enjoyment of watching football. There have been one thousand five hundred and twenty accepted penalties in the NFL through eight weeks. One thousand seven hundred seventy eight total flags thrown. They are on pace right now for the second most in NFL history. The record season was 2019. There was 3,572. 
Now, that's even considering just a 16-game season. If you throw in the 17th game, they're going to blow that record out of the water. Um, But to me, it's more about when the flags are being thrown. They are thrown in certain situations where it's just like, like, why why would you throw the flag there? They miss so many, and then the ones that they throw flags on, you're just like, why are you doing this? The taunting, the, the... uh, the taunting flags are ridiculous. The unnecessary roughness, the hits on the quarterback, those, are, those flags are just ridiculous. And the, the, the flag in the game yesterday against uh, Cincinnati absolutely changed the game. Absolutely changed the game yesterday. That, that particular flag on the, the unnecessary roughness on that call was maybe, it might be the worst unnecessary roughness I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And even... Um, I can't remember who it was, whether it was Terry McCauley or whether it was Mike Perry. I can't remember who it was that was that was helping the booth essentially in their in their reviews. Even he, like he just, you could hear him in the background just saying no, no. You could hear him just painfully, like what? And those guys stick up for one another, like they they are a a brotherhood that sticks up for one another. They will go to bat for one another like crazy, and you could hear him in the background just like no, no how bad that was. And officiating continues to get worse. And in my opinion, I mean, look, I've had long conversations about this, and I'm not going to beleaguer the, you know, the, whole, uh, the whole topic. But, again, I, just, I feel like if you didn't put them on TV, if you didn't put the camera on them, if you just made a side note like, okay, by the way, there was a holding penalty, and let's, you know, we're going to move back 10 yards, I, I still think that these guys are a bunch of egotistical glory hounds that they want to be on TV and they want to be seen and they want to show off to their buddies and their families uh, in their weekend off from, you know, whatever job they are as a dentist or a, a lawyer or whatever the hell they do during the week, and this is their time to shine and be on TV and in the spotlight and all that stuff, that crap's got to stop, man. Like, because that's the feeling that I get. And I may be way off base here, but that's the feeling I get, and I think a lot of other fans get it too. Number two on the dunce list, oh, the Detroit Lions. Oh, that was brutal. Absolutely brutal. At home against a team in the Philadelphia Eagles who are not that great. They're not that well coached a team. They've got problems at quarterback. They have a hard time scoring points. Nah, not today. They hung a, hung a big 44 on the scoreboard at Ford Field in Detroit and just absolutely waxed the the Detroit Lions. It was 41 nothing at one point in that game. The Lions were able to score a late touchdown and get on the board and keep from being shut out. They have clearly punted on the 2021 season, and they'll definitely be shopping for a new quarterback in the draft. Jared Goff was awful, and I mean just god-awful yesterday. They are so bad. And it's one of those things like you look at Dan Campbell and you see how much – passion and emotion he puts into the game and on the sideline how fired he up he is and he talks about his players in the you know in, in the press conferences and he's in there crying he's like these guys fight like hell and these guys have just completely dropped the rope and walked away like they don't even care obviously to get beat like that at home to the Philadelphia Eagles there were plays and I and like I didn't look I didn't watch a whole lot of that game just kind of if, if I was if I was watching red zone and they happened to be showing another uh, Philadelphia scoring play, there were just players on the Detroit Lions just standing there, watch guys go by, just doing nothing. They've clearly punted on the 2021 season. 
just a sad, sad statement. That, uh, 0-17, here they come. Because that team, right now, just looking at how they're, like, their body language, the way they're playing, the way, as bad as they are at quarterback, that's 0-17 written all over it. Congratulations. And they're going to be shopping for a new quarterback in the, in the draft, and it's not a good quarterback draft. Like, start doing your homework now. Hire the best possible scout, you know, quarterback evaluator you possibly can, even if he's not currently on your payroll. Somebody who is a quarterback guru, somebody who coaches quarterbacks, somebody who, who's coached these kids at, you know, private camps and things like that. Hell, hire Peyton Manning. Like, hey, Peyton, I need you to watch some film on these quarterbacks. I want you to go talk to them, please. I don't care. Like, you got to do something. That organization is a wreck, an absolute wreck. The Detroit Lions are toast, done, dead in the water, DOA. Finally, oh, before I, before I do the final one, honorable mention, of course, that's going to go out to uh, Gabe Morales, as I promised, because, uh, you know, Gabe Morales, the – uh, umpire for first base in Game Five of the National League Divisional Series against the uh, with the uh, Giants and against the the Dodgers, ringing up Wilmer Flores on a check swing that wasn't anywhere near a check swing, and thus ending the season for the San Francisco Giants and e- ending everyone's fun uh, by not extending the game. Another pitch, uh, yeah, forever on the honorable mention list of the dunce list, Gabe Morales. Now, finally, and this is just a, a I don't want to say disgusting. But this is just a, a ridiculous story that was completely touted the wrong way on social media, even by the Pac-12's own commissioner, George Klyovkov. Milvon James, who? Milvon James is the head coach of Inglewood High School football. They played a game against Inglewood Morningside on Friday night. That game ended up with a final score of 106 to nothing. It was 59 nothing at the end of the first quarter. 59 nothing at the end of the first quarter. They scored on their first four plays from scrimmage. Not kidding. Now, the way that this game was advertised essentially on on social media was that UCLA QB commit Justin Martin had essentially broken the California state record and nearly tied the the national record for most touchdown passes in a game. He threw 13 touchdown passes in that game. Morningside coach Brian Collins didn't see it that way. He said it was a classless move. Now, on the social media headlines, it was like, Justin Martin throws 13 touchdown passes, NCAA high school record, whoa, and George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner, is like, look at this, UCLA commit, throws for 13 touchdowns in a high school game. Hey, guess what happened? They were throwing the football on the final play of the game up 98 nothing. They were up 98 nothing with a running clock in the second half and throwing the football on the final play of the game. Not only did they do that, they scored a touchdown on that play to make it 104 to nothing. And now you're thinking, well, didn't you just say the final score was 106 to nothing? Yes, I did. Because they then went for two. 106 to nothing. And Milvon James... The head coach was pulling the trigger on all of it. Now, I, some people, you know, want to climb on Justin Martin, the quarterback. Look, he's a high school quarterback. He goes out there and does what he's told. That's just the, just the way it is. He's, he's not going to have the frame of mind to be like, hey, coach, can we just dial it down a little bit? No, no. And I'm sure he was celebrating, having a good time out there, you know, running up the score on these lowly 
Inglewood, Morningside kids. The, the, the schools are only about three miles apart there in Los Angeles, so they know each other. I, I guarantee a lot of those kids know each other. They probably grew up around one another. Inglewood, since they brought on this, uh, this hack job as a head coach, who, by the way, was fired, fired by another Los Angeles high school after 2016 for using ineligible players and cheating. And uh, that was uh, L.A. Hawkins High School. They had to forfeit every game that he coached because they were using illegal players. Somehow he gets a job at Inglewood, and now they're running up the score on teams 106 to nothing. Brian Collins, head coach of uh, Morningside, look, he's, he said, look, go play St. John's Bosco. Go play Modern Day. Go play Servite. Uh, you don't need to be playing you know, a lowly Division II team from across town and running up the score 106 nothing. And that's what it was, running up the score. And, look, there are plenty of people out there that are like, oh, if you don't want them to score, you got to stop them. That's bull crap. That's Bush League, and you know it. Like, you can do that in the pros. I don't care. I was talking about yesterday. I'm like, run up the score on these fools. They're getting paid millions of dollars. Make them feel it. Make them earn that paycheck every single second of that clock. But when you're talking about amateurs, college, high school, and other divisions where these kids are out there trying to play for, quote, the love of the game, Run up the football score like that is ridiculous. It's disgusting, and it should not be. It should not be accepted. And I'll tell you what, the uh, the California Interscholastic Federation on football they've already spoken out on this, and they said that they're planning on taking action to make sure that something like this never happens again. I hope Milvon James gets fired for what he did on Friday night. That is absolutely ridiculous, and it's embarrassing. I just. Who does that kind of stuff? That's just I, – look, I remember being mad at my coach in high school. We're up 20 to nothing in the third quarter. We knew that we had this team. Look, and this is back in the day where it was just, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of football here in Arizona. There wasn't a whole lot of progressive offensive be, being played in the early 90s. Uh, but we're up 20 to nothing, and he's like, all right, got to take our foot off the – got to take our foot off the gas. I'm like, well, it's only 20 to nothing. Like, but it was one of those situations where, like, it was – that team hadn't – I don't think they had gotten a first down the whole game and stuff like that, so I get it. We The game ended 20 to nothing. You know, we just – he com- completely took the foot off the gas, and all the players did too. We just started putting in whomever to play whatever position. But throwing the football in the final play of the game and then th- going for two, that's just classless. Absolutely does not belong anywhere in the world of sports, specifically in amateur sports in high school. Uh, and Milvon James, you disgraceful – piece of garbage uh yeah you end up actually right at the top wearing the biggest dunce list hat that i've had all season long all right we're gonna take a time out try to get back to some better news after this we'll do some uh, we'll do some nfl talk after this right here on the jeff dean show Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, some uh, breaking news, of course, in the NFL. We talked about it just uh, a little bit as Derrick Henry, Titans, you know, uh, a guy who is kind of in, in the conversation for MVP voting. Um, obviously, plenty of quarterbacks having great seasons as well. But according to sources, Derrick Henry has suffered a potential season-ending foot injury during their win over the Colts yesterday, the uh, uh, the overtime win that they had yesterday against the Colts. 
And the next thing that I heard was that they were going to be working out Adrian Peterson. <laughs> wow. There's a there's a blast from the past who's uh, currently without a job, but they're going to work out AP, it sounds like, and uh, see if they can bring him in and continue the success on the ground because without Henry, obviously the Titans are in big trouble. Now, I know a lot of people feel like he's – in fact, it's all over – Twitter right now, the people are poll, you know, asking polls like, "Who's the best? You know, who's the the most indispensable player in the NFL? Or you know, who's the the MVP, the the biggest MVP to their team?" And I think a lot of people would say that Derrick Henry is. And and look, obviously, you are entitled to your opinion, and there's certainly nothing wrong with choosing a guy like Derrick Henry who continues to win you football games in the fourth quarter and secure the football, and as as good as he has and as dominant he has been over the last three four years. I wouldn't put him anywhere near the list of quarterbacks in this league that are more valuable to their team, though. I just, you know, what what are what are the, the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, right off the top of my head, what are the Baltimore Ravens without Lamar Jackson right now? No, I mean, no running backs, a million injuries this season. Uh, the only reason that they're that they're doing anything and able to score any kind of points is because Lamar Jackson has basically willed them to do so. Um, so t- to me, Lamar Jackson is far more valuable to the Ravens than Derrick Henry is to the Titans. I think that Aaron Rodgers is more valuable to the Packers than Derrick Henry is to the Titans. And I look, I know Derrick Henry is having a remarkable season. Once again, he is as solid as they come in the backfield. But if we've learned anything in the NFL, it's that running backs are replaceable as good as they are. They can be replaced and you can get some you know, get some good play and some numbers out of some guys and some success out of guys that don't measure up athletically with the guy that you had in your starting position. But quarterbacks, totally different. Like, you go to a backup quarterback, although I say that, and two backup quarterbacks who were playing in their first ever football games yesterday both got wins, one of them on the road against a really good football team, the other against a really good football team at home. Um, So, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's just all down to coaching. And if you lose, you blame the coach. And if you win, you adulate the coach. I I don't know. I'm just you know, tongue in cheek there. But um, the NFL is is it's that league. And uh, you know, football is a very violent game. And Derrick Henry continued to play on that bad foot. He he was obviously injured. He had the shoe off early in the game. I think it was like the third quarter. Uh, I saw him walking around there without the shoe on. The medical staff was looking at him, but. He manned up, played the rest of the game, didn't look all that effective, you know, didn't have uh, uh, great numbers. He was obviously hampered by it, uh, but having him out there obviously is a huge threat for the uh, for the opposing defense. And uh, now it looks like he may be shut down for the season. So not good news for the uh, for the Tennessee Titans as uh, they continue on their season to get, get the big win over the Colts. That was huge because now they have a pretty substantial lead in the South. We know that – they're not going to – the Texans are awful. Nothing's going to happen with the Texans. The Jaguars are fighting, but they're still very bad, still one of the worst rosters in the NFL. They're not going to contend. They're not going to be a problem for, for Tennessee in the South. And now that the Colts have moved to 3-5 and five, and they've lost head-to-head against Tennessee, Tennessee is firmly in the driver's seat in the AFC South. Now it's just a matter of what seeding they're going to get when it comes to uh, when it comes to the, the the playoffs and look, the AFC is still a situation where things are kind of wide open. The the, the previous number one seed, Cincinnati Bengals, lost. They're now five and three. It's topsy turvy in the AFC. 
The NFC is a little bit different. NFC has got some really dominant teams out there. Dallas now flexing their muscle, proving that they're one of them. And, you know, the the Packers are still there. Kyler Murray, and I just got word a little bit ago that Kyler Murray's ankle injury is approximately a one- to three-week injury for Kyler Murray. So it didn't say – they didn't say whether he was going to not play um, this upcoming Sunday – it's just a one- to three-week injury, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with his progress. Obviously, getting it injured on a, on a Thursday gives you an extra few days, uh, few days to rehab it and stuff, so it may end up being a situation where he can play in the third week uh, as opposed to upcoming this Sunday. Who knows? Um, so we'll keep a close eye on that. Um, there were plenty of other things that happened in the world of the NFL yesterday that we'll continue to talk about, of course, but Monday Night Football coming up tonight and your chance to be able to watch the game with the boys. Of course, Spears and Ali, they broadcast live every Monday from the famous Sams at River and La Choya. And you can watch the game tonight. It's the Giants and the Chiefs. Not a great game, but uh, if you want to go watch some football, you're welcome to join them from 3 to 6 uh, as they broadcast live. Maybe maybe go there, watch the, watch the broadcast from 3 to 6, then... Head on over to the McHale Center for some basketball because that game tips off at 7 o'clock. So you can do both. You can go to Famous Sam's, enjoy some some uh, live broadcasts, the TVs, the beers, and the great food that they offer there. And, the of course, the, the, the clean and friendly atmosphere that they offer at the Famous Sam's at River and La Choya. And then, uh, you know, if you want to stay and watch the football game, great. If not, you can obviously go over to uh, the McHale Center and watch some basketball. You can double dip tonight. But uh, Spears and Ali live for Monday Night Football from the Famous Sam's at River and La Choya. Go check them out. And, uh, of course, they're there every single Monday night for Monday Night Football. More after this, some NFL talk and a whole lot of other things going on in the world of sports. It's the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, it is your chance to register to win my tickets once again. We do it every hour during the week of uh, home games for Arizona football. And this is your chance to text to win. Text the word HOMECOMING to 68683. The word is HOMECOMING. Text it to 68683. You have a small window to get those registrations in. Message and data rates may apply. And uh, your chance to to win my tickets. I have two pairs of tickets to give away for Saturday's homecoming game against the Cal Golden Bears. That game kicks off at noon at Arizona Stadium. Don't get to see too many of those. So come on out, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the beautiful Tucson day. And uh, hopefully cheer on your Wildcats to victory in the in the game against the Cal Golden Bears on Saturday. But your chance right now, text the word HOMECOMING to 68683. Win my tickets. Congra- uh, good luck. And uh, hopefully you get to uh, win some tickets, and we'll see you there on Saturday. All right. Looking at the NFL, I'm going to kind of hybrid some NFL and some some college talking, you know, points here. First of all, Gary Patterson, TCU head coach, out as the head coach of TCU after 20-plus seasons there. Um, Interestingly enough, John Makovic's last ever game coached was against Gary Patterson at TCU when Arizona played TCU back when that that era was going on, um, but yeah, so kind of interesting there. The game was in like it was a September twenty seventh or whatever um, in that game, and actually Arizona actually played quite well 
in that game. But Gary Patterson has done some really, really good things in college football, specifically at TCU in his 20-plus seasons there. They went to a Fiesta Bowl with Andy Dalton and uh, played some really, really great defense over the years. Uh, I think it was just time. It was a situation where he's been there for a long time, and if you're not winning Big 12 championships year after year or you're not competing for at least a a Big 12 championship every year, then 20 years plus is enough and TCU is going to move on. He's only 61 years old. He'll probably get another job somewhere. Uh, He's a hell of a football coach. He was the guy that I wanted Arizona to hire when they hired Rich Rodriguez. I was like, go get Gary Patterson. Do whatever it takes to get Gary Patterson. That's the guy that I wanted. Um, Obviously, he wasn't going to leave Texas for uh, for Arizona, but I thought maybe there was a chance. So he's going to be out. Another coach that I think could be on his way out and maybe never to return to college football again because of the stigma that's been put on him that he just does not like to recruit and that he doesn't equate well with the young players that he that are that are being you know they're playing in college football i think chip kelly's out at ucla folks i really do they feel like you know they've they've now finally got an ad in place there it's not the ad that hired him they didn't have an ad when they hired him they were just they just the boosters got together some money. Let's go get Chip Kelly. Let's go throw twenty five million dollars at Chip Kelly and go bring him in. Wasted money, absolute wasted money. I had good good sourceful information uh, during or at least it was either during or after his first season at UCLA that he wasn't spending much time around the department, much time around the building. Basically, just showed up for practice and then would leave. Was not recruiting. Um, spent a lot of the budget on coaches that would do his recruiting for him. And, look, not every head coach is a great recruiter, but you have to at least let the kids be aware of who they're going to be playing for. You have to sit in those living rooms with the parents so they know who's going to be taking care of their baby for the next three, four years. And Chip Kelly just refuses to do that. Now, I had on I have on good authority, just a, you know from a couple years ago, that – People there were, were sick and tired of his stuff, basically. He, he, was, he wasn't performing well. They weren't getting wins on the football field, and he just seemed completely disengaged. Didn't want to be there. He did not want to play last year. He was the only coach that voted against playing in the COVID year. Only one. Because he didn't want to play. He doesn't, he doesn't want to do anything. He, doesn't, he, has no, he has no work ethic any longer. Just cash and paychecks. you got to get that guy out of there for UCLA. So... I think Chip Kelly's out. I think both L.A. schools are going to be looking for a new head coach along with Washington State and maybe another school in the Pac-12 may be looking for a new head coach because things are not going well in Tempe right now. And uh, word from some people that I trust is that the NCAA investigation has taken a real stranglehold on that program, and they are gripping tightly. It's a pucker factor 11 in Tempe right now. There's a lot of pressure from the NCAA based on the things that happened. Um, some other word that I got earlier last week was that things like, like the story is potentially worse than what we originally expected it to be. Like there were some other things going on that are really, really bad. So again, I'm not here to like break any news or anything like that. And uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that I look, if, if I have a source that tells me something, I can say, maybe look for something like this to happen, you know, in the future. This could be an interesting situation. We'll just keep an eye on this developing. I'm not going to sit here and say, rah, rah, they got this, and, you know, this player was doing this. That's, I leave that up to the message boards and all that kind of stuff online. Um, 
but for 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 us here on the Jeff Dean show as you're listening uh, just just know that <laughs> they're feeling it it's getting real hot under the collar there for Herm Edwards and when your team performs the way that they did on Saturday at home against Washington State on homecoming when the 96 team the 96 Rose Bowl team is standing on the sideline there and you look the way you did with four turnovers in the first half and just get your doors blown off by Washington State, who's got an interim coach on their sideline, yeah, it's not good. And everybody could be out. It could be, it could be a clean sweep at Arizona State Athletics. If Bobby Hurley doesn't perform this year in basketball, if Charlie Turner Thorne, who still is doing a great job, and I don't know why you would, you would fire her, but nonetheless, they haven't been great over the last five, six years. The athletic director, of course, could be out. Herm Edwards and the entire staff there could be out. There could be big changes in Tempe coming up. So right now, Pac-12 is in a little bit of a conundrum uh, as things are, are not looking good for the conference. Is it, look, you're talking about football specifically. When you look at, at the, the, the standings currently that, uh, that are, you know, the, the way that the Pac-12 looks in the standings, it is um, – it's an interesting situation, to say the least. I mean, you look at the way this conference just continues to cannibalize itself. The South, the Pac-12 South is a mess because you've got Utah 5-3, and three, ASU 5-3, and three, UCLA 5-4, and four, USC 4-4 four and four now. Utah's 4-1 and one in the conference, okay, but they just lost two weeks ago, right? ASU, who's lost now twice. UCLA has lost three times. USC's lost three times in the division. It is it is a it is a mess. And for Oregon, you know, looking ahead, the, the, the Oregon State losing on the road to Cal certainly hurts their chances to boost their SOS with a you know with a good football team in Oregon State. Maybe getting a win. I just it looks like once again the Pac-12 is going to be on the outside looking in when it comes to the CFP because even though Oregon went head-to-head against Ohio State in the horseshoe and came out with a win, if Oregon, if their one blemish this year ends up being a BS pass interference call against Stanford that loses that game for them, and it was BS, if that's what ends up derailing their season, quote-unquote derailing their season at 11-1, and after a win at Ohio State, if that's what ends up de- derailing their season, we have no one to blame but the Pac-12 itself. It's the whole conference as a whole that it, it, it has let Oregon down. Not only because of the television contract that, that they've been saddled with, but also with just the inability for any other team in this conference to show that they're worth a damn. I mean, really. And no other teams have stepped up. Utah's the second best team in the in the in the conference and they are completely flawed. They've got flaws left and right. And then you look at other conferences you're like, "Man." <laughs> now the ACC this year is a little topsy-turvy. It's a bit strange in the ACC and they're closer to where the Pac-12 is than where the SEC is, that's for damn sure. Uh but in years past they've been one of the best conferences in football. They're just having a down year this year because Clemson isn't any good. And some of the blue bloods in that uh, in that conference, you know, Florida State and such, and North Carolina has, has squandered their preseason ranking. But the Pac-12 has no one to blame but themselves. They have 
they have not recruited quarterbacks well. A lot of quarterbacks, really, really, really good quarterbacks that were in Pac-12 backyards playing high school are playing somewhere else across the country, balling out for ranked teams. And meanwhile, the Pac-12 continues to look at the quarterbacks that they have in this league, and you're just like, look top to bottom, you're like, wow, wow. It's just not good. It's not a good look for the Pac-12. It's not a good quarterback league right now when it has been a good quarterback league for the last 40 years. Not anymore. The rest of the country has caught up. They have invaded Southern California. They have invaded the West Coast, and they are taking our quarterbacks. Something's got to be done about that. Hopefully Arizona can get a little peace as they get uh, Noah Fafita from Servite coming in. He's excited about being here, and we're excited to have him. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll put a big, bright red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Final segment today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks for joining us here. Don't forget to join uh, Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6 as they broadcast live from the famous Sam's River in La Choya. You know, I mentioned earlier the the article that was posted on The Athletic this morning. It was a, uh, a poll taken of 26 Pac-12 players. Now, these players, when asked about these questions, were not allowed to vote for themselves, a teammate, or for like any kind of – basically, you had to pick something other than – something that has to do with your own team. So when they were asked about, you know, hardest player to guard, Johnny Juzang got six of the 26 votes. I mentioned Benedict Matherin got the second most votes. He had three. Azulis Tabellas also got a vote. So, uh, Jaime Jaquez got three votes also. Um, it's pretty ex- expected. Um, hardest player to score on, Christian Coloco got a vote there as well. Eli Parquette and Evan Batty both getting three votes atop the list for, for Colorado. Uh, Colorado lost bad to Nebraska, by the way, in a, a exhibition game, I guess. Evan Batty was 0 for 10 from the field in that game. Yikes. Um, players I'd like as a teammate, Evan Batty gets number one. Uh, I'm not He's one of the most likable people ever. But shout out to Grant Whiteman. Somebody in the Pac-12, one of the, some player in the Pac-12 is a big Grant Whiteman fan because he got a vote as players I'd like as a teammate. Props to the props to Grant Whiteman for for getting the shout out there. Good for him. Grant's a great guy. I'd love to have Grant as a teammate too. Thankfully, we've got him. Good walk on. Good young man. Um, when asked who will win the league this season, I think some players may have been trolling a little bit because Utah got two votes. Utah's terrible. Like they just fired Kristobiak, and players weren't allowed to vote for their own teams. So we know it didn't come from Utah players. <laughs> Maybe it's somebody who's like, oh, I'll just vote for Utah. I don't know. I'm not going to vote for anybody else. Washington State also got a vote, but UCLA getting the most of the votes, um, and a lot of players actually refused to uh, to vote on who will win this league. So if they couldn't vote for themselves, they weren't going to vote at all. I respect that. As far as the two votes that I thought were, were you know, obviously when talking about Arizona, Favorite arena to play in, McHale Center, was by far a landslide. It That just goes to show you that not only do players hate playing at the McHale Center because it's a, a, such a difficult place to play, the atmosphere there, though, is makes it a favorite place to play for players as well because 
first of all, you're always going to have cameras on you. You know that. Arizona's on TV more than any other team in the conference. And with the way that the fans are and as loud as it is, there's always a raucous crowd there. Players love to play there. They love to play against Arizona. That's that's one of the main things that happens there. They were the overwhelming landslide vote-getter in favorite arena. And then finally, toughest fans to play in front of, Arizona, another landslide winner there. They received the large chunk of the votes. Interestingly enough, Oregon State received the second amount of votes on that one. Guaranteed, that is just specifically because of uh, Jocelyn Tinkle, Wayne Tinkle's daughter who played at Stanford, who is the loudest, most obnoxious fan in the Pac-12, sitting in the front row every single game, screaming at players, screaming at officials. <laughs> yeah. She's she's brutal, man. She's rough to deal with. Dealing with Wayne is bad enough, and Jocelyn's sitting over there on the sidelines screaming at people. Ooh, she can get after it. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Once again, congratulations to Ed Dannyfield, our winner of the women's basketball tickets. We'll have more of those tomorrow. Thanks to Mary back in studio for pushing all the buttons properly and keeping me on the air and keeping things going here on the Jeff Dean Show. And we'll see you guys again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. for another edition of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tanka Verde. KMXZ HD4 Tucson.